All right, we're turning to, to Acts chapter 8, and we're picking up uh, where we left off. We've already gone through the, the first seven chapters so far, and we've seen the, the church after Jesus' resurrection just continues to grow, right? We see the, the church as we know it is, is born, and we see that uh, it is drastically uh, growing. Uh, lives are being changed, radically changed. And we get to, to chapter 7 where we, we left off last time. If, if you all missed that, you weren't uh, here a few months ago, I encourage you to go back and just listen and, and catch up with us in this series uh, through the Acts of the Apostles. But you get the, the first martyr of the early church. And this is a, a big moment because what we had seen leading up to it was a, a lot of um, harsh words, a lot of... Um, uh, belligerent behavior towards Christians. Uh, we saw them being mistreated. We saw them even beaten. Um, but chapter 7, Stephen lays it down for them. He lays it on thick, and he tells them why they need Jesus and where they went wrong from the Old Testament that talked and prophesied about the Messiah who was to come, our Savior. And they become enraged, and then they, they stone Stephen. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 8. It says here, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning just uh, thankful for who you are. God, we're thankful for creation that you've given to us for our good and for your glory. God, that we would enjoy it, we would make much of it, and we would exalt your name because of it. So as we sit out here this morning and, and we, we listen to uh, cars driving by, we, we, we hear the birds, we hear your creation, we hear the kiddos, God, I pray that we would, we would praise you. God, and I pray that we would focus in here on your word this morning. In our short time here, Lord, I pray that it would have great impact. Not my words, but your words, God, as they jump off the pages at us. I pray that you would, you would penetrate our heart and convict us in areas where we need to go and we need to be faithful and we need to share and we need to not get caught up in our situation and remember the persecution the church faced, but how you turned it for their good and for your glory. Remind us of that this morning as we go out and we, we face persecution, we face pushback because of our faith. God, I pray that we would be faithful to carry out the message that you've given us to share. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So as we look at this text this morning, we, we, we see um, a little bit of hurt and then we, we get a little bit of hope, right? And the main point I want us to, to understand is that the gospel always survives. You read those first few verses and you, you look at Paul and, and you think, Saul at this point, and you think how horrible this man was. He's dragging off men and women and committing them to prison because of their faith. And you think, how could a man like this do such a thing? How could the church survive this? What, what is going to happen? But when we look throughout history time and time again, the pushback that the church faces is always faced with the power of God. And Paul 
is a perfect example of that. And we'll see later how he becomes Saul to Paul, right? And he's radically saved by the grace of God and used to bless the church forever for God's glory. But we must remember here and now, especially in the year that we've had, that the gospel always survives. Amen? Amen. All right, so the points I want to look at as we move through here to drive home that the gospel always survives, let's look at the wreckage, the revival, and the renewal. Wreckage, revival, and renewal. Also, if you, didn't, if you don't have an Acts scripture journal, it's a scripture journal. It's been our gift through the, the book of Acts. Uh, go to the cafe after service. If you, this is your first time here. That's our gift to you. Make sure you take that home. We just encourage you to, to take notes, ask questions, and then if you need answers to those questions, come find us and let us know. But that's our gift to you. So let's look at the, the wreckage here first. Look here in the, the, the first three verses. What does it say? It says, Saul approves of his execution. So this man that we, we know to be Paul later on, right? He's radically renewed. We see that he approves of Stephen's execution. Not only approval, right? By, by sitting there and approving what happened. But it says, and there rose in that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So then they scatter. They go about to the regions of Judea and Samaria, but the apostles stay back. We'll get into that in a little bit. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul is not only approving of the death of Stephen, but is leading the charge in trying to stop the church. Look at the mayhem here. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Church, think about this. Stephen had done nothing wrong. Now, we know when we go out and we share the gospel, we, we make some people upset. They get flustered. They're not very happy about the message that we share, that without Jesus, there's eternity in hell with Jesus. There's eternity with him in heaven. It's not always the, the most comfortable message to share, but we share it faithfully. And Stephen just preached Christ, and he was killed for it. And the natural response would be chaos. But there was something good that, that something good was brought about from this evil. Look at this. It, it says here, first part of the wreckage was they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. They were scattered in all these regions. To, to be outside of Jerusalem would have been a sign of a curse in the Old Testament. So this was, this was a notable thing. When you look at this and you start to, to think about the Old Testament, you come across Ezekiel um, 36, 19, and 20, 19 through 21. It says, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations... Wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said, and that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. In the Old Testament, this was a big problem, right? It'd be like Maylee going off to, to school when she gets a little bit older and being like, I don't like my mom and dad, they don't take care of me. And I'm like, What? I don't understand, right? You're, you're not following the way that we're telling you. Haley, you just need to brush your teeth, right? It's not that hard, right? 
And in the Old Testament, they saw this as a curse. It was a sign of, of God's judgment when they were dispersed and they were out of Jerusalem. It was a sign that they were not in God's will. They were not being obedient. So you see this scattering. And then you see this ravaging. It says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The Greek word for ravage, the verb there is, is very, very strong, like that of an animal. How they become rabid and, and uncontrollable is a great force which he was doing this. Saul was practically a terrorist on the first church. But we look at this bad, we, we look and we see what looks to be bad, the scattering of God's people. We look at the Old Testament and we think, that's got to be God's judgment, right? But what we see is that God is actually using it for good and bringing about revival, point number two. God is, is turning this for good, and it's so tough in our situation when we're going through persecution, when we're getting pushback from people, when we, we lose our job, when we see someone, um, a loved one lose their life or lose the love of their life or lose a friend or we lose a friend, and we go through these trying times. It's tough to see God's hand in that situation. But look at what was happening to God's bride, the bride of Christ, and how God used it for good. It is so good and so encouraging for us this morning and something we need to grasp that God takes the evil and turns it for our good. As we sang that out this morning, church, I pray that you, you sang it out with confidence that God is taking your situation and making much of his name and sanctifying you into his likeness. So then what was once a sign of judgment, being out of Jerusalem, being scattered, is now a sign of fulfillment. This is not an act of God's judgment. It is not God casting his people out because of their disobedience. This is a fulfillment of the Great Commission. That is, the church was scattered, the gospel went to the nations. And that was a great thing. So if you were a Jew and you were looking at this, you, you would think, yeah, look, they just left. They were unfaithful. We knew it wouldn't work. The whole point of this, Acts, when we look at it, we see that the gospel cannot stop. The gospel always survives. God's church will not be stopped. And that is good news. That is great news for us. And this is the great commission that is coming out of this, that now the gospel is going to the nations. Church, nothing can stop the church. Now, we can, we can ruin ourselves from the inside. We could let the outside come and tell us what to do, and we get ruined, we're wrecked, and maybe New Hill ceases to exist down the road because we went wrong. But God's church, capital C, will not be stopped. When I look at this, I think of, of all the, Aubrey and I are big uh, shark, shark Tank people. I don't know about you all if you like to watch Shark Tank, but you'll see this concept and it'll work in one area, right? And then they're like, they start to take this idea and they're like, we really want to take it like global. They come and they offer up their um, talents and say, this is our product. We just need you to give us a ton of money and your expertise and we'll make this thing work. But we know that with businesses, it doesn't always work, right? You move something, and it goes out of its little context, and it doesn't have a niche anymore because every, every little town has a, a mom-and-pop burger shop. So just because you've got 80-20 beef doesn't mean it's going to work here. Just because you've got the best cheese doesn't mean the burger place is going to work here. You've got to have that, that niche. Now, not 
to say that the church is, is that of a business, but to say that the church is more powerful than anything that has ever existed because God has used it and ordained it for our good and for his glory. We are the bride of Christ. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Amen? That is good, and we see this. We see the, the bad that is coming out of these first three verses. But here's the good news. There's two things here. The gospel is now going to the Samaritans. It's now going to the nations, right? It's now leaving Jerusalem and doing what the Great Commission commanded God's people to do. First three verses, you think, wow, how terrible. Verse four, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Church, one, one thing here in, the, in this point of revival is that the message, when we look at this here, it continued not through the apostles, but for the, through the believers. Look what it said back in, in verse 1. It says, Great persecution came against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. For whatever reason, the apostles stayed back. Maybe to care for the, the church as it was under attack. We're not given the details of what was exactly done or what was said, that the apostles stayed back, but I could make a pretty solid assumption that they were caring for the saints that, that were still there. Even though it says all, we have a great understanding that probably not all were gone because there was still great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So they stay back. So when we think about that, the challenge is, is not simply on the pastors now to carry forth the gospel. It's on the believers. It's on you. Because as we talk about a lot, Ephesians 4 tells us, the pastors, that our job is to equip the saints, which is you, believers, in the gospel for the work of ministry. So as you go, you are to proclaim the gospel. So they leave this wreckage behind only to start a revival. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Psalm 96.3 is, is something that should be our, our goal, right? Something that we're going for. And let this be the challenge this week. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people, telling people about the goodness of God. They had just left the wreckage behind, something we may never see in our lifetime. And they still went about preaching the word. Because it wasn't about some fancy sauce. It wasn't about some smoke machine. It wasn't about the best kids programs. It's about the gospel, the good news that saves sinners and makes them saints. That's good news. And they went to share it. Philip, who we read about in, in the um, appointing of what we believe are the first deacons. So it's interesting. We, we get Stephen's, one of the first named, and then Philip would come after in that list. Well, we read about Stephen, and now we read about Philip, and we're going to be talking about Philip for the next few weeks. But Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, and it says, and proclaimed Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So the second point to this this point of revival was not just that the message went out by uh, the, the church itself without the apostles. It didn't take just pastors. It was people who had been saved by grace who went to share about grace that saves. So they're going about and they're sharing, and then Philip shows us that it goes to the nations. So the second point to this is that the Samaritans are now getting the gospel. 
Now, this isn't just a people group that had been missed. It's not like how we had partnered with the Ani people in Benin who just had never heard the gospel. Is that these were enemies of God's people. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. You go back to Jesus with the woman at the well, right? There was much hostility, but what did Jesus do? He extended the gospel to her and told her about the everlasting water that brings about life. And we see here that not, not only is the gospel going forth, but God is saving them. It says they're of one accord. They're listening. They're paying attention. They understand that this is a real thing that is going on right before their eyes. And the gospel is going forth. And this is the challenging part, right? If we want to see spiritual revival, we need to get off of our chairs and talk to the people that, that don't like us. we got to get up and talk to the people that, that maybe don't like us, but we just don't like them. If you're a Target person, become a Walmart person, right? Some of you all smile and you're like, that's the toughest thing to do. I agree with you. But when it comes to the gospel and the sake of, for souls, then we don't let petty arguments, we don't let worldly things get in between us and sharing the gospel with them. When we understand the reality that if someone doesn't know Jesus is the eternity of hell, then we get up and we don't care what they say about us. We go and we tell them about Jesus Christ. And that is the beauty here. We look at the wreckage, but look at the revival, church. Look at the, the wreckage this past year and, and how many churches were split and how many uh, people, went, uh, they became apostate, right? They, they declined the faith, right? They denied it. They, they, they went back on it. They recanted their faith in Jesus. Look at the, the churches that, that have split and Christians who are without homes. Look at the, the wreckage politically. And we see that this gospel does not discriminate because it goes out. It shows no partiality, and God shows no partiality in his saving. It's for his good and his glory, for our good, for his glory, for his purpose, according to it. So we share. We go and we tell of this good news because we understand that within that good news is renewal. Point number three. When we understand that the gospel brings about a new life, that it changes someone's eternity from hell to heaven, from separated from God to spending eternity with him, reconciled because of the work of the Son, then we share because that renewal, and in that renewal we find joy. We find eternal joy. Look at what happened. What was the result of this? What was the result? There was wreckage, but then there was revival. And the result of this, surely there were some people who were mad, but it wasn't noteworthy for, uh, enough for Luke to write it down because in verse 8 he says, so there was much joy in that city because they were faithful to carry out the gospel, to share it to people who had been enemies, to those who were withholding it for the whole Old Testament. And now it's going forth and there is much joy in that city. See, the joy of the gospel will lead you to the share of the joy of the gospel. Church, do you still feel the joy of the gospel? 
See, the problem is, is we've lost that joy. It's become something to us like, like marriage. Aubrey and I have hit eight years of marriage, and what I'm learning is you've got to, to keep trying, right? And I don't know if it's just getting older and becoming more tired, less stamina for, like, you know, putting up with one another at times. But, but what we understand is that we have to talk and we have to communicate and we have to try because there was, there was some joy that we found on our wedding day when we said our vows and the happiness that we found on that day. But guess what, church? God instituted marriage for our good and for his glory, so we should seek to, to continue fighting because we fight for that joy. Now, with salvation, with our relationship with God, when he saves you, there's that joy that you find. When you get baptized, there's that joy, right? It's like that's a new day. That's, that's a day where we look back and we think how great that was. We, we, we stepped forward and we proclaimed our faith through the act of baptism, right? We were obedient to God's word by following through with baptism. We found joy in that. But now we're volunteering. We're on the schedule every other week. We're supposed to do groups. We're supposed to do potlucks every now and then. We're supposed to do life together. And it just feels like all these things are now taking my joy away, but what it's really showing is where our joy has been at. Has it been in acts or has it been in God? Because when we are reminded of, the sal of salvation, of the salvation of God that was given to us, then we should be joyful each and every day. We should be reminded of the joy that we found in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 15, 11 says this, speaking of, of joy. These things, so after, after talking about being the vine, right, after talking about um, bearing fruit and abiding in, in Christ and Christ in us, he comes to verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Church, if we're looking for joy anywhere else other than Christ Jesus, we're looking in the wrong spot. And the best place to start is back at the moment where Christ got a hold of you the way he did Saul and made him Paul, where he made him his. The joy of the gospel cannot be forgotten, especially by God's people. Look at, look at what happened. The Samaritans have been neglected and hated by, by God's people for forever. And the gospel comes to them. Revival comes. They're given the gospel. It's shared with them faithfully. And it says there was much joy in that city. Now, when we go out to, to share the gospel, when we go out to put Jesus in the perspective and, and tell people about the good news that saves, what we are looking for is this, this changed life. Not, not a, a, a speech or a performance that makes them happy for a moment, but what we want to see is, is Christ save them. We want to see them repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. And then we see evidence of that by the joy are we joyful? Do we go out and do we share out of, out of um, just obligation? Or do we share because we understand that this joy is real? Do we understand that the gospel saves? Do we understand that the gospel changes the reality of your eternity? And I know I'm yelling. But we need to feel that joy again. They were run out of Jerusalem. It wasn't an act of God's judgment like the Old Testament seemed to be. 
for them when they were scattered. They were scattered and they remained faithful to the message, taking the gospel to the nations. Now Paul says in Romans, how are they to hear unless someone's sent? How are they going to hear the gospel? Church, I want to, to implore you to go this week and find somebody to share that joy with. Don't just think of it as the gospel, right? The gospel is good news, right? It is. But think about it as the joy. Like you should still feel that joy each and every day. We should still think back to the moment and think, wow, I was dead and Christ made me alive. While I was still sinning, while I was an enemy of God, dead in my trespasses, Christ died for me. That is good news that needs to be shared. That is joyful news. And that is what Jesus says, that your joy may be full. And we look around and we see the world empty and hurting, and it's because they don't have Christ. We need to go and share of the joy which found us and saved us and sent us on mission. Ben, if you'd go ahead and come back up here. We're going to sing uh, one last song. But church, I, I think we, if that, if that passage, maybe I don't encourage you, right? Maybe you're like, ah, he's not that encouraging. Go, go home and read Acts 8, 1 through 8, and you'll be greatly encouraged. Look at those first three verses and everything that they were going through, but were being reminded of the joy that, that found them and saved them and the good news. They go and they share. They go and share with their enemies, people that they'd been at enmity with forever. And they share of the gospel, the saving message of Jesus Christ. And it says that city was full of joy. What a revival. If, if we started this revival here with each and every one of you going to share this good news, what joy would Medina feel? Now, not everybody's going to be saved, but I can guarantee you that everybody will feel the effects of the church sharing and faithfully proclaiming the gospel through word and through deed. So who's the person you need to share with? Not just your buddy who like has just been out of church, right? No, the en enemy, right? You're like, they're probably going to hell and I might be okay with it. Oh, I can't believe he said that. I'm telling you how our flesh thinks. Go and share the gospel. Tell them of the joy that got a hold of you and brought you into life through Christ. Church, go ahead and stand. We're going to lift up a, a joyful noise through one more song, just, just praising God for who he is. And I, I just want us to reflect on that, to think about the fact that we were once dead and Christ gave us life. We didn't somehow seek and find it, and it, it found it like uh, somehow got a hold of something good. It was like finding a treasure out here in the yard. No, Christ saved you for his purpose. So go and tell of that good news. And know that we're all doing that together. Encourage one another into this good, good work of sharing and faithfully proclaiming that Christ is King, our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much just for, for who you are. God, we, we thank you for, for your Son, Jesus, our Lord, and God, I'm, I'm greatly encouraged by how you, you turn our bad situation and you make much of it. 
still doesn't always feel good, but we trust, God, that you are sovereign. You are king of all kings. You are our Lord. God, our Father, being our Father, looking out for our interests, God, accomplishing your will and your purposes through our life and through this mess of a life that we have here on earth. God, we long for your kingdom. But until you come back, God, I pray that we would be faithful. As we face persecution, as things may get tough, we may never see what Acts 8 feels like. But if we do or if we don't, let us remain faithful and obedient to the message that saved us and the mission that calls us. God, I pray that you would encourage each and every person here on their journey and on their mission to go and to tell this good news. Pray that you would give them the words to say as they share uh, with those in their life, God, that they've been engaging with. God, I pray that you would be with them as they, they go to share with their enemies. Pray that you would comfort them in that time and, again, give them the words to say. And, Lord, I pray that you would begin working right now on the heart of the person they will share with this week. But, God, I pray that we would make it personal. And I pray that we would be reminded of the joy each and every day that the gospel has brought to our life. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.